0: You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys Podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Vadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys Podcast. I'm Vadim from Comfrog Recording. And I'm Ben from DreamLoud Studio. And it's Black Shirt Day on the podcast. Black shirt day, yes. And it's coffee day because typically we record in the evenings yes. at beer o'clock, but this time we're recording on a nice Saturday late morning, early afternoon, yeah. so it's still coffee o'clock. Coffee game is on yeah, point. Absolutely, It's a necessity yes, in the coffee studio. coffee game has got to be on point. It is a necessity in the studio. It's just a nice ritual, even if it's, I don't even yeah. care about the caffeine, even if it's decaf coffee. I'm good with it. The other thing is in the summer I do a cold brew every now and then. I'll make a big batch oh. of cold brew. It sits it stands overnight, put it in the fridge, tasty. And oat same. milk. I've gone the oat milk route as well. Oat milk's really good.
1: I like it. Yeah. I think of all the fake milks. <laughs> it's the best
0: the best tasting of the, you know, non-lactose milk, I would say. Yes. Of all the things you can milk that isn't a cow, I think oats have been most successfully milked for sure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you do any lattes or anything like that? Or are you just strictly black coffee and with um, cream in it? Yeah. I would love to be able to do lattes and don't have like an espresso machine. That's that's too much. If I'm going to shell out those kind of bucks, it's going to be on studio gear.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. One thing that I do that kind of works a little bit, I have one of those electronic whiskers. And, um, oh, yeah, not, not whiskers, but like a whisk, you know, like stirring whisk. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, so I'll heat up like just one ounce of milk for maybe, I don't know, 15 seconds or something like that. Get it, get it warm without boiling and then whisk it. And it gets that froth that's not as good as steaming it, but it's kind of like
0: a poor man's way of being able to make a latte totally i've done the same thing it does it aerates it it kind of makes it foam up a little bit you pour some on top it's almost as good yeah almost not quite but almost yeah
1: so little (laughs) hacks there for you guys when you're working in the studio
0: (laughs) yes diy coffee recording guys i do tell people that that when they come to the studio i will make delicious coffee you you know what's funny ben is is tasting coffee to me uh, the journey has been a lot like my critical (laughs) listening journey I feel like there's so much subtlety and nuance and when I first got into it I was just like it's coffee I I can't tell the difference between this or that but as over the years I've kind of honed the senses a little bit and now I can taste these little subtle nuances just like with audio where I couldn't used to not be able to tell what I was listening to and now I can tell a little bit yeah
1: I mean it comes down to like the quality that you're that you're listening to or tasting as well because Mm. I mean if you're just if you're just drinking Folgers then you have to add copious amounts of sugar and milk to that because nobody wants to taste what that tastes like black
0: cool well what are we talking today we have another courtesy of dream loud studio episode I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to why don't you introduce it for us
1: yeah so this song uh I wrote about a year ago and I decided that I wanted to do like a full band version of it, so I asked my band to fill if they would help me out in the studio recording the drums and the guitars and, and the bass. Um, I had originally done all the pre-pro in my studio, which included programmed drums. So I figured we could use this great opportunity to compare a programmed drum kit to a real live performance with maybe some samples used as reinforcement. And we could talk about the pros and cons and the and the drawbacks of using, you know, a real recording versus programming. So very excited to dive into this. I think I hope it's going to be illuminating, and I hope that I won't get raked over
0: the coals too much for my drum editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we we've done an episode previously on uh, making MIDI sound real. So if you're interested in tips on how to do that, check out that episode. Just search our catalog for MIDI and uh, we have uh, we did a pretty in-depth look at that. So it sounds like basically you're considering three different options here. One is just raw recorded drums. Two is MIDI programmed drums, which is what you did when you wrote the song in pre-production. And the third one is kind of a hybrid where you're using the live performance, but you're maybe augmenting the drum hits with, uh, with some samples. Yeah. And in,
1: in this situation,
0: okay. I'm really only comparing... Uh, the
1: real drums with sample reinforcement, because as we we'll, as we'll get into listening to it, especially the kick drum, like there's no way this genre could work with the way that the acoustic kick drum sounded. Like it it hmm. needed something
0: else reinforcing it. Ooh, okay, okay, cool. Well, uh, where do you want to get started?
1: So. I guess we could just listen through. um, Oh, you know what I will do? I will give you some notes about um, the programmed drums, and then maybe we can listen to that first. I think I have that. uh, I nicely laid out all the tracks, and I think that was the first one, just the programmed drums. So Mm. before we listen to that, um, some notes about it. I used Get Good Drums, the Invasion drum kit, when I programmed that. I like that kit a lot. It's got six toms a lot of options, um, different kicks and snares that you can use. And the cymbals that they use are Meinl, a lot of different Meinl um, symbols mm. in there. And I'm a big fan of Meinl because they have that darker tone and I feel like they, it's easier to get them to sound pleasant in a mix, whereas uh, Zildjian, in particular to me are just very harsh they're mm. they're they're bright they're up there in the top end but you're all you're also kind of just fighting them like punching you in the face <laughs> they're just in that in that range where like the vocals kind of sit and you know I'm just a more fan of a, a smoother cymbal sound so that's why I like that good good drum kit Um, I did some pre-mixing in the actual program itself so they have like uh, reverb controls and something that they call turbo which is a combination of compression and eq so you can have it completely off and just have a raw drum recording in your samples or you could turn up this turbo dial that is some Hmm. like percentage mix of what they think is a good sounding processed drum kit so Mm -hmm. i did some of that to taste um i i do a lot of pre-mixing with The great thing about program drums is that you can adjust the amount of uh, different mics that are going into the room, and so I do a lot of that pre-mixing up front, where I like to have a lot of snare drum in my room mic and not as much cymbal and not as much toms or kick. And the great thing about having a program kit is, if you have a good one, you can really hone those levels that will fit. You know what your uh, your mixing flow or recording flow or just what you like the sound of. Whereas, as we'll get to real drums, you're at the mercy of the microphones in the room and the player. And sometimes you'll have right. too much cymbal, and there's not too much you can do about that. Um, right. And the last note about the drums is they are 100 percent quantized to the grid, and there's no velocity adjustment.
0: They oh. Are, okay
1: yeah i think they are um around 80 to 90 percent all of the hits there's there's no variation whatsoever and it's it's completely on 100 percent, no gotcha. humanization okay all right so cool let's take a listen to that just the drums yeah sorry about that
0: obviously a little, a little robotic and a little uh, stiff, but uh, that makes sense because all your velocities are the same and everything is quantized. So it's, it's what you would expect. And it's actually, a, I think, if anything, a testament to this virtual instrument that you still get a little bit of variety as good VIs do get you because they're still sampling from a various number of hits on each Shell and even yeah. each symbol. Because if you really had one single, uh, symbol, uh, sample, it would sound yeah. very robotic. So I think, um, yeah, with a with a bit of humanization, that's that's, it's a nice sounding so- sounding drum part. I think so. Um, one note about
1: what we listened to. I did notice that a couple of those snare hits. There's there's not any um. The decay seems like it's cut off, and I think that's probably yes. because I. I chopped this song up when I was editing it, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't the actual program part specifically that I exported. I had chopped the full length song up into that um, short little clip oh, okay. that we heard, and so that's I why see. it sounds like that. I,
0: I did notice that that um, yeah, especially when comparing to the real drums, that the the some of the snare sustain was was very spiky and very kind of abrupt so yeah. yeah okay good to I know think
1: that's why because I, I clipped it up Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. okay so now that we heard what I started with in the pre-pro um, let's talk about what I did <laughs> to even think about going into the studio to record you know real drums I guess some thoughts and ideas heading into that so first thing is I knew that I had to get a really good drummer to play this part because it had to be I wanted something that was like very on time, very kind of quantized because even the guitars I had to do a decent amount of editing to, to kind of get that very, um, percussive feel to them. So this, this isn't like a genre that I feel like you could get away with doing one take and not doing any editing. Like most humans aren't capable of playing something that tight. So. This is going to have to be something that like a good drummer that has a good sense of time is going to going to have to record and it's going to have to be heavily headed edited edited after the fact too. So that was the first thing. The second thing I guess is just having the right drum kit and cymbals and it just kind of made sense to ask my friend Jake from the fell because he likes playing this style. He's got a kit that kind of is suited towards playing this. And Mm -hmm. he's got, I think, all 100% of his symbols are minor symbols, so it's a very kind of one-to-one comparison there. So it's the same same symbols as you had in your um, in the pre Uh, not necessarily similar, not necessarily the same, but similar, yes, exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. So that that helps a lot too. I think where we'll hear the most difference is in the the kick drum and the snare, because he has a very unique setup for the kick drum in particular. Oh, <clears throat> So okay. that was the first thing. Uh, yeah, so some other details about the drum kit. He used the Tama Star Classic. I actually don't know what the shells are. I think that they're um, birch. I think they're birch shells, hmm. uh, which is a good good kit for recording. Um, his snare drum, I actually have the same exact snare drum. It's a, I don't know the model of it, but it's Tama, and it's a Bobenga 11-ply snare very loud, Mm -hmm. uh, very cool sounding snare drum. Um, the kick he had is a tiny kick. I think it's only an, it's like an 18 inch or a 20 inch. I don't think it's 20 inch though. I think it's like an 18 inch kick drum. So it's very tiny, smaller, and he has no porthole on it because he has a beautiful artwork of Nafil's last, uh, EP release. And he didn't want to, cut it out in any way and there wasn't a good spot to cut it so i just told him that's fine we'll we'll leave it on there and so we had to instead of putting um the kick in mic inside the drum like you typically would we put a 57 on the front of the kick to capture the beater attack and then uh interesting yeah and then a beta and which i had never done before and so i was curious to see how that would turn out um And then a Beta 52 on the kick out. The drums, they have been heavily edited, but not sample replaced. I I also recognize too that there would need to be a lot of additional processing that would need to be done to these tracks to get them sounding the way that I wanted to. But I was a little bit limited on time (laughs) throwing this together for the podcast, and I felt that they were good enough to show. (laughs) Um, Sure, yeah. And some of the edits, as you'll hear, they're not transparent enough. And that was due. So this is a big key. And I actually kind of forgot about this because it's been a while since I've recorded and produced drums. But um, there's a lot of like phasey, weird editing artifacts that you're going to hear in the cymbals. And that was mostly due to the amount of double kick patterns that the drummer played. and because in this style there's so much high-end or there's so much treble needed in the kick drum for that clicky attack sound, Uh, it becomes very obvious if the kick patterns aren't right on with the grid. And so if you're doing very intricate stuff, it requires a lot of heavy-handed intricate editing to the kick drum. And whenever you're moving a lot of kick hits that a drummer naturally is just going to kind of play out of time you know it's their own way of kind of doing a beat or a groove um and if you need to edit those heavily you're going to get real really weird phasey things happening especially in the cymbals, because essentially it's like you're having the symbol double hit at places where it was a single hit because you need to move those kick parts uh to match up well enough to fit the groove so right with knowing that uh if i were to do this again and we were limited on time so it's i'm totally fine and happy with what we got but i would probably suggest to the drummer try playing something more simplified that's a tighter groove and that's some advice that i'll give to you guys if you're trying to record real drums out there um if you have a drummer that's really having trouble playing a specific pattern, especially if it's a complicated one or complicated fills, I would suggest like punching in and specifically grabbing the fills so that you know that they're good or um, suggesting to the drummer, or if you are the drummer, just suggesting to simplify your part down so that the amount of editing can be more transparent or that you just have to do less editing in general.
0: Any any thoughts on any of that, Vadim? Right. No, I think I think you're exactly right. That's one of the challenges with with live drums, is you have shells which are relatively short in duration, and you have symbols which ring out for relatively yeah. long in duration. And so when you're editing, you're looking at those transients. If you have a lot of shell hits and, you know, kind of a sparse eighth note, quarter note, or something symbol hit. You're gonna run into uh, into issues because as you as you're mm-hmm. editing a drum kit, you're editing all the tracks together as a group, and you're chopping up those symbol decays, and they can start to sound a little bit unnatural. So that's that's definitely a big um, a big concern, and I'm sure we'll talk about pros and cons. That's definitely one of the the cons of working yeah. with live drums is the amount of uh, editing that you have to
1: do. Before we get into that, a couple other solutions to what we were just talking about there is. You can record your cymbals and shows separately. I've seen that mm. being done on some recordings. Uh, you can also have a trigger pad for the kick drum. Just don't even have a kick drum there. And either uh, have the drummer play on a kick pad so that it feels natural, but you're not actually capturing any sound from the kick. And you can program that later or just have the drummer play Play just the kick hits again and capture that, or you can actually uh, capture the MIDI from a trigger pad and and do it that way. So those are two solutions to kind of solving that editing editing trouble if you have a really difficult drum part or a drummer that is struggling playing um, mm. a specific performance. But yeah, we can we can yeah. dive in and listen to. I think the first one on that list is just the raw recordings that we got
0: cool so i'm gonna play i'm gonna play a couple bars of that and then i'm gonna switch back and forth between the um the programmed and the the raw kit sounds good think yeah i was interesting uh listening listening through this um and i'll 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 say i do a, this is something i do a lot of is drum programming for artists and i'll talk about some mm. of the tricks that that i use and why i like it so i'm a big proponent as a guitar player i've always done a lot of drum programming and i think you can definitely do a lot to get by with it but Here's here's the big takeaway I had. I've never done this kind of a shootout before with um a, a raw kit versus a programmed kit. And to me, I, I'm I'm actually still processing how to how to talk about this. But the way the best way I can think of explaining it is, as a visualization, especially in the mix when I was listening to the mix, to me, there's a level of energy in the in the live recorded kit that is is a level above the program kit, and to me, I think about a visualization. When I when I listen to to Jake playing the kit, I see him mm-hmm. grooving to the beat, and I and he's in a sweaty t-shirt, and his head is moving. <laughs> and when I listen to the program kit, I see a guy in a button-down shirt whose head isn't moving at all, and he his face is is impassive he just has a a blank expression on his face and he's playing the drum he's a good drummer and he's just playing the drums really well so for me that was kind of the the level of difference and i'm trying to think about what is it in the little performances that that is that 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 nuance and and part of it obviously is the humanization that's missing that you haven't done yet to the program kit which you could do right changing the velocities uh, and I was thinking something like, well, Jake playing the parts. He knows what's coming next. He's anticipating the groove. He's responding to the music. And I can kind of I can kind of feel his hands moving and pushing and pulling, uh, even though you know, the yeah. drums are edited. So that's that's kind of the big difference for me. But, um, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll talk more about it as we get into uh, the pros and cons. what What do you think? I think that is a great way of summarizing, you know, what is so great
1: about recording a real drummer is that, Especially if you're not a drummer yourself, um, mm-hmm. which I happen to have the privilege of knowing some about drums. I've, I've played drums a lot in the past, not as good anymore. But um, uh, to just hear another drummer what they're doing on a part that's programmed, you know, going going from like here's a programmed idea, do something with it, drummer. It's very interesting to hear like. The physicality that each part of the performance takes and to hear how that affects, you know, how hard each specific drum is hit or what the yeah. emphasis is put on different things. And that's something that's kind of hard to picture if you don't play drums or uh, haven't actually sat down at a kit and or, or seen another drummer do a variation on that part. And maybe we can hear that later in the more uh, the double time section. But. You can't hit all those snare drum hits at the same velocity as like an open beat where it's just quarter notes, because you're playing yeah. things a lot faster. So you're naturally you're just going to lower the velocities, which is something that a human naturally does. But if you're programming it, you have to
0: you have to you know. have to
1: visualize that and and know yeah. That that's and your what
0: samples happens. have to be good. And the other that's the other thing I'll say is that it, it it's a it's a great comparison. Jake is a obviously a, a fantastic drummer, and he hits the shells very consistently. Because one mm-hmm. of the challenges you will find with a drummer who doesn't hit the shells consistently is the performance will kind of be all over the place. Uh, so he's at least getting those clean shell hits. Um, but we ha- I don't know if we've hit some of the tom sections yet. On the program, tom sections is where you can sometimes be like, uh oh, that didn't sound, that didn't sound so as natural, <laughs> right? So um, yeah. yeah, where do you want to go next? so um
1: what's next what's the next file that we have
0: there's a real drum no trigger oh okay uh real drum and then the two with with the guitars
1: let's do the real drum no trigger because i think what we just listened to was just the raw and now this will be actually with processing on it but no triggers so this is like EQ, compression, all that stuff. Gotcha. Okay. So okay. that would be a good comparison to maybe jump back and forth between, you know, just what the raw drums sound like versus what they wound up sounding like after processing.
0: I'm gonna start by playing the 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 mixed drums, and then um, after a couple of measures, I'll toggle between the raw and the mixed. Okay. Still no no samples, right? These are just no triggers. Right. No triggers. It's getting there. My stream is very glitchy, but even even with the glitchy stream, I could hear a huge difference. <laughs> much clearer shells, much less muddy and obstructed. Um, just much more open and punchy. So yeah, what I would expect. Yeah, it's getting there. Um,
1: the thing, the two things I was most worried about were the kick and snare because I felt like. Uh, I wasn't sure if Jake was hitting hard enough to get like a very punchy snare, but as you heard, just throw some compression on it. And it really did kind of level out everything and, and get that snare punch that you know we're all accustomed to hearing. Uh, the other thing that I was worried about was the kick drum sitting where it needed to sit because I didn't realize this until going in and actually recording his kit, but uh, I think the combination of how small the kick drum is, and the way he has it tuned, and having no porthole, um, it is really, it really sits right in between like 100 and 120 hertz, which is pretty high for a kick drum. And I, I think maybe in retrospect, I would ask him to try tuning his uh, resonance head down a little bit to get a, a deeper fundamental frequency, because I kind of felt like the the kick drum was a little bit um choked out a little bit like it wasn't resonating where it mm. r- really wanted to resonate kind of like it w- had mm. too much tension on it and so i think the resident's head was actually pushing back against the beater head and you know just not allowing the the low end to kind of develop the way that i would expect a kick drum so that gotcha. was that was a Big challenge and I cleaned it up a little bit and that's why I decided to add um triggers. I needed a trigger to get the subby kick to have some tone in it because there was there was no tone down below 90 hertz. That's where the kick drum kind of rolled off and it only was air. So it really did require a trigger to be added to that.
0: Right. Cool. Let's uh let's check that out with the triggers then. Yeah, let's do that. And here's I'm switching to with no triggers.
1: might have overdone it with the sub on the kick trigger but (laughs) it has more of the sound i was looking for
0: well i was gonna say my my stream sounds like a really really scratched cd but even still i can hear like the how much more extension into the low end the kick has and um yeah i i I don't know It, it definitely is a big difference and i think you're right for for the genre of music that you're playing which we haven't played the song yet but it's a you know it's a hard rock song Mm-hmm. You you like that subbiness in the kick, so uh, yeah, and we'll see how it sounds in the mix, but um, yeah, big uh, big difference there. So you're you're just triggering samples on the kick and the snare. Yes, there was no, none on the toms. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, I did. I'll I'll throw out another uh trick I heard. I'm listening uh, to a book by you know Mixer Man. Yeah, yeah mixer man. Yeah, is like um, yeah,' it was a guy who, who wrote blogs, he works in the industry. Um, so I'm reading uh, listening to one of his books, which is amusing about a fake uh, band session. And uh, what, but one of the cool things he talks about there is this concept of reinforcing the room, uh, which w- what that means is um, basically you route your shells to a PA system that's in the room to basically feed more shell sound into the room, that the room Mm. mics can capture more shell. And I thought that was an interesting concept. In fact, I'll throw out here, I've never, ever tried this, but I'm going to throw it out there for somebody to try if they want to try. I was thinking it might be cool to run your snare mic to a guitar amp and your kick drum mic to a bass amp, put those in the room, and just see what that does. I don't know, just like theoretically I think that could be a very cool yeah, sound but I, I don't that. know <laughs> that could be really cool yeah in fact um he he talks in that book about um also using this as a technique to deal with bleed if you're a band if pl- is, is you're recording the room everybody's playing together how you deal with uh instrument bleed into the room mics, especially if you have to edit the drums mm. and one of the things he says you can do as a last resort is basically take. Uh, the shells, the recorded shells, which shouldn't have too much bleed, feed that into the PA, into the room, and basically re-record the room track uh, b- uh, with the sound coming off of the PA instead of coming off of the actual kit. And I thought that was another interesting like, That's last clever idea. uh I need to save. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Very clever mm-hmm. idea. Cool. Cool. Well, so, okay. So you did, so you, you, got your raw sound, you did some mixing then to, because a couple of things you wanted to reinforce the low end of the kick drum. So you had some reasons to, to trigger some samples yes. and that's where you are now. What's next? I guess maybe I could talk about,
1: you know, how some interesting things I had to do with processing whenever it comes to real drums. So, um, we had, we had some trouble with the front facing kick beater mic picking up way too much snare drum bleed and Mm. so the original position that we had it um, was actually on the drum it would have been on the drummer's right side Uh, and it was facing kind of towards the hi-hat and the snare drum and we had to flip this the side of the kick drum that the mic was on to get more rejection from the hi-hat and the snare because Mm. it was kind of angled towards it too much and so we were getting when we added enough top end to get the the beater click, the snare drum and hi hat were almost as loud or louder than the kick drum itself. So I knew that was going to be a problem. Um, so I had to do some additional trickery with phase cancellation. Um, I've talked about it before on the podcast, but you duplicate the track, flip the phase, put a high pass filter on it, and then a compressor, and you know, using using that chain, you can cancel out some of the high end uh, bleed from snare drums Love and kick it, drums. Yeah. It's a uh, Bo Burnham, oh, I think, is cool his name. Idea. It's a it's a mixing trick you can find on YouTube. Um, he specifically did. Bo Burnham's it. a comedian, isn't he? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's <laughs> Bo. No, it's like Bo Bruchelle
0: or something like that. I'll look up. Ah, right? uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a that's a cool. I, I forgot. You have told me about that and I forgot about it. That is, I love that idea.
1: It's. obershell Sorry. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> He's the one. It's the first thing that comes up if you search snare bleed trick on YouTube. So if you're looking of mm. how to deal with that, I I tried that both on the kick and the snare mic, which they worked a little bit. I still wound up having to use a little bit of a gate. To help with bleed on the snare and kick drum but that's that's expected whenever you're recording um real drums you're gonna get some bleed it's just a matter of uh managing the amount of bleed uh in in deer drums and mm-hmm. yeah jake played really well and uh he didn't like he didn't hit his hi-hat twice as loud as a snare because that can be a real problem for snare bleed yep sure what's the next thing I think I have that version with the song is next so that processed with triggers
0: we'll start um, yeah we'll start with the um, live kit and then I'll, I'll just switch back and forth between the sample kit and the live kit okay cool almost jarring going back and forth because the tones are so different (laughs) yeah the tones are very different yeah for sure um yeah I think you know I think what I stand by what I said previously uh is that I think the there's there's a cool level of energy that's there with the with the real drummer where you can just kind of feel the drummer grooving to it and responding to the music Uh, it takes a lot of work to program drums that respond to the music. You have to really think like a drummer and, uh, certainly is doable, but, um, the live drums are very cool. Let's, do you want to talk about some, um, just pros and cons to, to kind of wrap up? Yeah, let's do that. Um,
1: I think before maybe we jump quite into that, uh, I was kind of analyzing, this is kind of a pro and con. I was kind of analyzing, you know, why are the tones so different <laughs> between the programmed ones and the and the real drums? And I think a big factor into that is that I wasn't able to use as much room mics as I wanted to in the real drum recording because uh, the room is all Florida pine and it's very live sounding, so the cymbals were extremely loud and this is one of the benefits of a programmed kit in that programmed hmm. kit i could make the snare kick and toms so much louder than the symbols because that's what i want i want the shells in the room more than i want the symbols in the room whereas uh in this real physical space that we recorded this drum set in the symbols were just so loud they were going to take over my whole mix so i was limited as to how loud i could actually make my room mic
0: I was going to say I actually thought of it from from the opposite angle where I thought um, the program drums, if you put more room into them, I thought they might have sounded I – mean, that would have helped humanize it as well. That's one of the things that I find in tracks I listen to from people on the internet that are doing you know quick recordings is there's sometimes too much shell or too much close mic and not enough room adding mm-hmm. more room on a program kit is one way to, I, I find like Im- increase the humanization level of it or the, the live sound of it. Yeah. I agree with you completely. I just think that
1: there was more room, like in the program kit than in comparison to, the Oh, you think there's actually recording. more in the program kit. I think mm. that there, I think that there is, um, cause I would have wanted to put more snare room, into the real recording, I just wasn't able to. And that's why it kind of has that different it has a narrower character to the real drums. Like everything feels like it's closer. And I think it's because the rooms aren't there to like kind of evolve and and uh give that sense of space, which you hear in the programmed kit more. Let's listen to uh or let's listen. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah, I uh, say, I don't
0: talk about the pros and cons now. Sure. Yeah. I mean I guess I'll start with, um, I've already mentioned the pro for the, the live kit is just that that level of energy that I think is there. Um, I'll mention a pro for the programmed kit. A lot of times when you're doing a production, so the way like I have my, my session usually set up is I'll have my instrument MIDI track with all my drum MIDI, and then I have all my audio tracks so I can bounce out that kit into the individual stems, and even... Deep into the mix, if I decide, you know what? I think a different tom pattern would be cooler here. It's very easy for me to change that MIDI and just bounce out into those new stems. And all my processing can stay the same. So the flexibility of being able to change parts without having to do weird, wacky editing. Or, even worse, set up the drum kit again, have the drummer come in again. That's a huge pro for me for, uh, for programming. Yeah, I'd agree with that <laughs> 100% because with
1: a real drummer, you've got you to gotta know the part pretty well whenever you go into the studio to record it. you You have to do a lot more homework up front with the pre-production, which is kind of how we use the program kit was this is how we're going to flesh out what we want the song to be like, which is a great way of using both. You know, do the pre-production with a programmed kit and then go in
0: and record a real kit. But, you know, once again, yes, absolutely. In fact, in in fact, that allows you maybe for like a quicker recording process, too, because with the program kit, it's already on the grid. You can use that effectively as a click track, whereas with the live drummer, you know, you might have to do some editing. If you're going to record to the live drums, you may want to do the editing first before people record their parts over it uh, if you need to do that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's nice to have both, actually, if you can swing having both that's a great point because we actually did use
1: the the pre-pro programmed drums as a guide for mm. the other performances okay. because I didn't want mm-hmm. the you know the bass player being me <laughs> and the guitar players playing along with an unedited drum kit
0: and I didn't want to take up studio time sitting there editing this drums right exactly yep yeah I will say um let's see another another pro of having a real drummer is that a real drummer who is good at their craft can quickly come up with fills and things that by nature intrinsically sound real and human they yeah. can come up with stuff that me i mean i i've spent a lot of i spent hours programming drums and i'm decent at it but i'm not a drummer and so sometimes i have to really struggle to find like good fills yeah. That work and make sense and are playable and a, a real drummer can come up with that sometimes on the spot. So that's the cool thing about having a real drummer. Um but ed- editing real drums can be a problem if you especially if the drummer is not so so tight. Uh that can be a con for uh for real drums. I think the biggest pro and this is the whole reason why I wanted to do this
1: is to capture a specific human on a specific kit and you can't get sure. that you can't get that combination doing programming like you're you're uh, ensuring that you have a completely unique performance that can't be re- replicated by anybody else on the planet to me that's the biggest pro for recording a real drum set
0: yes and also consistency like if you have that human on that kit playing for the album there, that human is going to have tendencies, and those yeah. tendencies are, can are part of the unique sound that you get. Whereas me programming drums, I might do a different type of fill in a song because I think it sounds cool, but as a result, you get this thing that's kind of sterile. Where it's not, oh, I know this. Like I can tell a Mike Portnoy, you know, fill sometimes because yeah. he's got a specific thing that he's doing. It sounds different than Mike Mangini, right? But when I'm programming, it's just whatever I think works and it, it doesn't have that stamp on it. Yeah. But you know, I
1: think even a Mike Mangini program drum fill is not going to be the same as a Mike Mangini recorded drum, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike Mangini might be close because he's pretty much <laughs> he is half gross. man, half machine. <laughs> that guy is so consistent. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah, it.
1: I I think in summary, to me, re- recording real drums is worth it, but you do have to know going into it like all of the problems you're gonna have to face when when dealing with everything, because there are. I think there are way more cons to recording. Uh, there are way more number of cons to recording real drums nowadays than there are to just programming a drum because there's so many good um, virtual instruments that sound good out of the box already you can't really go wrong with them but i think that the few pros that recording real drums have they outweigh all the cons as long as you know going into it and we've, we've kind of we've kind of talked about them a lot on this episode like all the different things that you have to to deal with everything from the money to booking the session, to the, the time management, to all the preparation, to having a good drummer, a good kit that's in tune with good cymbals, a good performance, all the editing, all of the processing. Um, if you just know all that going into it, I think it's definitely worth the time and the energy put into it, but you just have to know what you're getting into or else
0: it's gonna be a nightmare. <laughs> Agreed, well summarized. And thank you for sharing these uh, these stems with us as always. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, we appreciate it. So if you have any thoughts on drums, reach out to us. Drop us a note in the Facebook group or email us either at vadim at diyrecordingguys.com or ben at diyrecordingguys.com. Until next time, it's the DIY Recording Guys reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. All right. If you're enjoying the podcast take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media also benjamin and i are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions so if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on reach out you can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com get me on instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support I'll see you next week